Hey fishies, welcome to another episode of Anti-Wombat's Bible Class. Remember that in order to keep doing this podcast, I need questions from you, the listener. So please uh, call or text 415-504-2289 or you can DM me on Instagram at Wombatalim, on Twitter at the underscore Wombat, or you can send me a message from the Anti-Wombat's Bible Class Facebook page. It also helps if you share this podcast with your friends, subscribe in whatever app you're using, rate it if that's an option, you know, get the word out. The more people listening, the more people can send in questions, and then the easier it will be for me to continue. Since I did not get any questions this week, we're going to do a little bit of sex ed. The first thing I want to talk about, just really briefly, is the concept of body autonomy. Your body is yours and no one else's. It is yours to do with as you will. And no one else has control over that. So this goes for sexual activity, even other kinds of touching, whether or not you medical transition, whether or not you get tattoos or piercings, whatever. Your body is yours. Always remember that. So first main topic today is consent. And this can mean a lot of things. The first thing I want to talk about is the age of consent. This is a legal thing. The age of consent in the United States ranges from the age of 16 to the range of 18, depending on what your state you're in. Most states have a Romeo and Juliet clause, which basically allows for straddling that line if the participants are close in age, really close in age. Um, But if the line is straddled outside of the range of the local clause, This can result in potential legal problems for the older participant, regardless of whether it was actually consensual. And I'm bringing this up mostly because it may not seem like a big deal to date someone a few years older than you. And as you're an adult, it's not. But if you're outside of that Romeo and Juliet range, but one person is over the age of consent and the other is not, there can be some real legal repercussions and I just want you to stay safe. Keep that in mind. So what is consent exactly? Consent is when two or I guess more people agree that they're going to engage in an activity. In current times, this is usually adopted as a yes means yes attitude, meaning you need a enthusiastic yes to continue. And that hasn't always been true. It wasn't all that long ago where They would teach no means no, and that can get kind of ambiguous because, you know, if you're not really into it, you might have this fight, flight, or freeze response, and if you're freezing, you're not necessarily saying no, but you don't really want it. You're not really consenting. And especially those of us who are raised as girls, we have a lot of trouble saying no. Girls, and by girls, I mean people who are perceived to be girls by their parents and broader society tend to be uh, rewarded with social behavior. They're rewarded for keeping the peace, rewarded for diffusing situations, which means you get ingrained at a very early age that saying no is a problem. You, you get You learn the behavior to avoid saying no to keep the peace. And especially, you know, as you get older, um, if you are perceived to be female, you do encounter a lot of situations where saying no seems 
downright dangerous. So these are really difficult behaviors to unlearn. I'm still working on it. I'm in my 40s. It's a lifetime of effort. A lot of people still struggle with it. I mean, we're having a movement right now where parents of small children, at least um, some of them, are starting to realize how early this learning needs to start. And they're teaching both their boy children and their girl children about consent instead of you know, forcing their kids to give auntie a kiss, they are asking their children if that's okay. Do you want a hug? And no is allowed. And that's a fantastic lesson. But for those of us who are older than three years old, we probably have some behavior to unlearn. So there are some warning signs you can look out for to help you make the determination of whether the person you are dealing with is going to respect your consent. So there are things like they might pressure you or guilt you or manipulate you into doing something you don't really want to do. This is also called coercion. Or they make you feel like you owe them something, maybe saying, I bought you that drink, so now you need to have sex with me. Or they react negatively. They get angry or sad or resentful if you say no or if you don't say yes immediately. Or if they ignore your spoken wishes, or even your nonverbal cues. Those are all signs that you're dealing with someone who won't necessarily respect your consent when the time comes. And the best course of action is to remove yourself from that person or, failing that, at least surround yourself with others at the same time, witnesses, if you will, other people who will help. The presence of other people can help uh, prevent anything terrible from happening. So how do you get consent? Very simple rule for whether you have consent or not. If you're not sure, assume you don't. Just that's the baseline simplest thing to remember. If you don't know if you have consent, assume you don't. That'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. And people can send mixed signals. It is a thing that'll happen. But when you get mixed signals, assume it's a no. Don't assume it's a yes. Always err on the side of assume you don't have consent unless you know for sure that you do. Now, if you're proposing something to someone, an activity or any kind of activity, whether it's a date or something, make sure you're clear that you will take no for an answer. Um, as you are going through whatever it is you're doing, keep checking in. Every once in a while, just check in. Make sure what you're doing or what you want to do is okay. Hey, you good? Everything good? And any, like I said, anything other than an enthusiastic yes or a nonverbal equivalent to an enthusiastic yes, assume it's a no. At least back off. Keep in mind that you are not owed anything. If you buy someone a drink, they do not owe you sex. If you give someone a ride, they do not owe you sex. If you treat them to a date, they do not owe you sex. And that they don't really owe you anything. You know, don't do these things as a way to get in someone's pants because that's not how this works. Another thing to remember is that can, consent can be revoked at any time. Respect that. You can start going in one direction. Either person can change their mind at any time. That's okay. Stuff needs to stop. You no longer have consent. 
then one more aspect of this is uh, the concept of negotiation, which uh, you'll hear the word used frequently with things like polyamory and BDSM. Um, there are other forms of negotiation too, but when it comes to consent is negotiated in advance, you need to remember that, again, consent can always be revoked. However, if your negotiations say you can go this far and then stop, you don't get to change where that end goal is in the heat of the moment. You can pull it back, you can stop too earlier, but don't keep going if you have agreed that's where you're gonna stop because that can, in the heat of the moment, that can cause a lot of pressure and it's not necessarily going to be good, proper consent. All right, gonna shift gears here and talk a little bit about what's going on in the Midwest and the Bible Belt right now with regards to reproductive rights. We currently have several states who have passed state legislation that would effectively ban abortion um, with very few exceptions, if any. Uh, first thing I wanna mention is none of these bills take effect before January 1st, 2020. So don't freak out right this second. Um, we are, there are legal challenges to all of them in the process. Um, ACLU and Planned Parenthood are big players in that game. So if you have some spare money, donate to them. Um, if you live in one of the states where these laws are happening, try to find out what kind of local activism is going on. Maybe you can join in. So why does this impact you? Besides, obviously, if you have a uterus, it matters because if you have a uterus, you can get pregnant. You may not want that kid or you may not be ready for that kid. So even if you don't have a uterus, this is important. And the reason this is important is the whole point of these laws is to challenge Roe versus Wade, which I'm sure you've heard the term for. It's a Supreme Court ruling in, well, many years ago that basically gave women the right to an abortion. The thing is, is Roe versus Wade is built on, on the surface it's all about abortion, but it's built on the concept of a right to medical privacy. So this basis of you have a right to medical privacy is therefore you have a right to abortion. So the concern here is if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it may not just affect abortion it can affect other aspects of body autonomy, such as, for example, something that's going to be of interest to many of you, it may impact your ability to get a medical transition, hormonal treatment, whatever. It might also impact your ability to get plain ordinary birth control. So it's really important to us that this does not get overturned uh, even if you don't have a uterus, it's it's just, you know, also long-term beyond the immediate personal need. It generally, having unwanted children can cause a lot of issues, not just for the immediate family, but for the community. And I don't think I really have the time to go into a whole long explanation of all the dominoes that get knocked into each other. But the bottom line is that having free access to abortion, or not free as in monetarily, but having 
legal access to abortion is important for the society as a whole. It really is. So that leads me into the topic of birth control. And the very first thing I want to mention at the top of this is hormone therapy does not prevent pregnancy. This is something any trans or non-binary person working on a medical transition of some kind should be aware of. If you have a uterus, you're taking testosterone, you can still get pregnant. If you are capable of producing sperm and you take estrogen, you can still get someone pregnant. So this is a thing you should definitely know. Hormonal therapy does not prevent pregnancy. So if you are uh, having sex with someone who could potentially get you pregnant or you could potentially get pregnant, please, please, please use protection. Your hormone therapy does not protect you. Um, now there's also, I know a lot of trans men especially don't like having periods. And there is a way you can stop your period. You can suppress your period through the use of hormonal birth control. But I want to give you the heads up that the same hormonal birth control that can suppress your period is usually estrogen-based or a estrogen derivative base. So its other side effects may be counterproductive for being trans. And I honestly don't know how it would interact with testosterone at the same time. So definitely check with your doctor if this is something you're considering doing. Um, but if, you know, you don't mind the you know, it might be worth a try for you if you don't really don't like having your periods. That is one way to go about it. And bonus, it keeps you from getting pregnant. And if you are someone who produces sperm, there aren't currently any hormonal options on the market. The two options for birth control are surgical, which is permanent. It, it's sometimes reversible, but it's basically permanent and no one's going to sterilize you when you're really young anyway that you just if you don't already have kids you usually can't get it done until you're at least 30 um, and then the other option is condoms so make condoms a habit everyone should make condoms a habit anyway because that leads me into my next topic which is STIs so condoms are really your best defense against STIs outside of you know having open honest conversations with your sexual partners and getting tested regularly, those are actually really your best defense. But uh, in the immediate term, condoms are wonderful. The easiest way to transmit most STIs is through penetrative sex. And penetrative um, can mean either penetrating a vagina or penetrating an anus. That said, condoms are not totally effective. They are just the best thing you can do in the immediate term. So for better protection, you should definitely get yourself tested regularly if you're sexually active. If you're not sexually active yet, and you are probably going to be soon, get tested for a baseline. Also get vaccines. There are vaccines for several STIs. Get those done. Planned Parenthood does do STI screens. So even if you don't have health insurance, they are a great resource for that. They are a great resource for many things related to reproductive health. And I'm going to go a little bit into two STIs in particular. So there's a lot of misconceptions about these. The first one is HIV. The good news is we live in an era where HIV is totally treatable. 
And even we have had now two cases of it being totally cured. However, those were bone marrow transplants, which is not a procedure that you're getting done unless you have another need for a bone marrow transplant. That said, if you test positive for HIV, H, yeah, HIV, there is treatment for it. The treatment, if you take it, will render you with an undetectable viral load, which means you can no longer transmit the disease. So I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, I grew up during the AIDS epidemic. Well, that is totally no longer a thing, which is great for all of us. Uh, another thing you can do to protect yourself is, especially if you're promiscuous, uh, is to get on PrEP, which is a is a vaccine for HIV, but it's something that has to be taken regularly. It's not like a one-shot like the HPV vaccine is. And then the other one I wanted to talk about was herpes, or HSV. There's two strains of herpes. There is HSV1, which is commonly thought of as oral herpes, and there is HSV2, which is commonly thought of as genital herpes, but either one, frankly, can infect either location. Uh, about two-thirds of the population has HSV1. So that's something you may already have. It can be transmitted something as simple as sharing a drink with someone who's got it. So for that reason, because this is so common, because basic tests, can't tell what strain it is. A lot of STI screens won't actually include an HSV test. I would recommend getting it at least the first time you're tested to see if you already have it. And if you don't already have it, you can keep getting tested for it. But if you already have HSV1, then it's going to be harder to detect if you also pick up HSV2 because these are lifetime. There is no cure. You will have it always. It's not going to kill you but it's not going to go away either. HSV2 is the one considered to be genital herpes. It's a lot less common. Well, not a lot less common. It's still probably the most common STI that's still around. And that's about 20-ish percent of the population has it. Um, and that does need sexual contact to transmit, but that doesn't mean it's going to stick to your sexual organs. It could potentially, through oral sex, transmit to your mouth or throat as well. All this to say, um, like I said, get tested regularly, get what vaccines are available, use condoms as much as you can, especially for penetrative sex, and don't panic. Don't panic if you have any of these. If you get test comes back positive, most of them are either treatable or non-threatening at this point, fortunately. But it is good information for you to know. So we, just to circle back to consent, part of consent is being informed. In an ideal world, everyone would be able to disclose to their partners if they have one of these things. And we know that doesn't always happen. People don't always know. But to be a good citizen the best thing for you to do is before you jump into bed with someone and you tested positive for something, you do need to let them know. And you can always read up on what it, whatever it is you have so you know exactly where the risks are and you can prepare for those. But part of consent is knowing what you're consenting to. All right, and that is my show for this week. Remember, 
I need questions to keep going. So you can call or text 415-504-2289. You can DM me on Instagram at Wombatalim, on Twitter at the underscore Wombat. Or you can send me a message from the Anti-Wombats Bible Class Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Be safe.